Hello everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This bonus episode of the podcast is part of our Working Through It series, a seven-part multimedia experience of curated content to help people just like you and I work through this time of tremendous personal, professional, and organizational change. Now you can see all of this content at culturefirst.com slash working through it, including our previous parts. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to get all of the future parts delivered straight to your inbox. All right, let's get started. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. So welcome to part five, episode nine, in this bonus set of episodes that we've been creating as part of our Working Through It series. So in part five, what are we going to be focusing on? Well, we're going to be focusing on how to connect in a disconnected world. So together, we're going to start experimenting and get innovative when it comes to the topic of human connection. Now, as leaders, we can often be asked to be inspiring. Maybe you need to lead a company all hands or lead a project kickoff meeting or potentially just being there for a member of your team in their moment of need. But in order to be inspiring to others, we need to first feel inspired ourselves. I love tapping into my creativity when I'm trying to approach a new challenge, work through an obstacle, or make the most of an opportunity that presents itself. But if you really knew me, you know that one of the ways I like to tap into this creativity is by reading things completely removed from the world of work. Things like poetry and philosophy, which is why I'm incredibly excited to welcome my next guest, Cleo Wade. Cleo describes herself as a friend, a community builder, and she's also the author of best-selling books. Firstly, Heart Talk, Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life, and then her latest book, Where to Begin, a small book about your power to create big change in our crazy world. Now, connection between people can feel like a dance between speaking and wanting to be heard, coupled with listening and wanting to be seen. Cleo is a writer and a poet, But the topic that we actually asked her to come into our community and speak to our community members about was compassionate listening. Cleo speaks often about the importance of bravery, authenticity, and vulnerability, and how showing up with those pillars, they're the structure that creates space for meaningful connection with others. So I've structured this episode a little bit different because we're getting creative here. So my conversation with Cleo has been split up into a few different moments, And in between those moments, I'm actually going to be sharing an anonymous story from a listener. So let's get started with my conversation with Cleo Wade. So today I'm joined by Cleo Wade. Thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So I thought we should start with heart talk. Okay. And like actual heart talk between the two of us, as opposed to just like diving into all the different questions we can talk about. So when when I say heart talk, like what's the question that comes up to mind for you? Um, I think it means being able to speak to someone without barriers, um, and without the things that block us from being able to be together and not just community, but beloved community. 
uh, there's a, a poem I cite a lot um, by Rumi that says, um, our job is not to seek to find love, but all of the barriers we have put between ourselves and love. And so I, um, I think about that. And so when I think about heart talk, I, I think about kind of moving beyond the barriers that um, uh, we create that protect us from really getting to know people. When you feel most alive, what are you doing? It's probably when I'm just sitting and listening and talking to someone else. I feel so grateful when I get to be in the company of another person and know their stories and know what they go through. And um, I feel so lucky in my work that people share so much of, of their life with me. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really a blessing. Uh, what's something that you think or you know you need to get better at? And why, why do you think you need to get better at it? I think if we look at every single thing in our life as something that we have the potential to be better and better at, then um, we can constantly stay tapped into our ability to grow and change and evolve. And I think that when we are in a state of knowing that every single day we get to grow from where we were the day before, um, we really get to live in our potential and that in that there's infinite things that we can do and accomplish. Mm. So, um, you know, that's why even when I was writing Heart Talk, that the subtitle of it, when we were deciding on it, it wasn't like poetic wisdom for the best life or poetic wisdom for a perfect life. It was poetic wisdom for a better life. Um, because to me, I've always found that living in the state of how can I do this a little bit better and those micro adjustments, they always feel attainable. Yeah. Whereas when we're trying to do a complete upheaval or treat our lives like a diet, uh, we really can't get much done so much power in knowing what you can do today as opposed to knowing how you're going to get to somewhere in a year because that yeah. ultimately it's just one step at a time or when we're just always trying to do things in one foul swoop and yeah. it's, it's just like why yeah. you know what is the i remember um one of the kind of most profound decisions i remember making uh, a few years ago is that i remember thinking to myself like you know, what does it look like to be a better person? And I was like, you know what, trying to tackle the idea of being a better person felt so huge to me. I was like, I have no idea where to start with that. But what I can do is like, I know how to be a better daughter. So I called my mom and I think I know how to be a better sister. Uh, so I, you know, I reminded my brother, I was, I was there for him. And then I was like, I think I also know how to be better at being around other women. And so I, I, I decided that day that I would never say another negative thing about another woman again. Mm. And I would actively correct my thoughts if I found them going to a space of trying to compete or compare with myself with another person or especially another, another woman. And so I think that living in that space of, um, not always having to flip the table to clear the table uh, can be really helpful. One thing that I want to speak to you about today is community. And I think you've just gathered this incredible community uh, around your writing and you're really inspiring people to who are looking to be inspired. Community building is super important to me as well. One of the role titles I've had throughout my career is head of community. I've organized small chapters for things around like human resource groups in Australia. I've created a community around how to have uh, different language around men's mental health. And you really can change lives through the power of community. Yeah. Why has community been so important? And why do you think it's shown up so much in your life through your work? Well, I think that uh, one of the chief ways that we feel powerless is by feeling alone. And so when you're reminded that you aren't alone and that whatever you're going through, there's someone else going through something similar. And 
And when I think that you have access to being with another person and having that exchange or organizing around words or around a gathering, then uh, that's how you start to feel your ability to tap into your power and feel like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't, I'm not helpless here and things aren't hopeless here because I'm not in this alone and, and I don't have to take on the world alone and it doesn't have to be me against the world or me against my company or me against, you know, my family. And so I think that that is, you know, being in community can be one of the most profound ways to have therapy. And you've been able to gather community from people who don't have a structure around them that would necessarily allow them to normally gather. But when we think about the structure of an organization, yeah. you already have what could be a community, but I think it's actually really hard to foster community inside of a company. How would yeah. you inspire someone to actually try to foster a stronger sense of community inside the four walls of, of a company? Well, I think that first we have to ask ourselves, you know, what does the leadership look like in the sense of, you know, I can't, um, I can't tell you to be inspired. You know, we make someone feel inspired. Uh, and I think we make people, I can't tell you to be motivated necessarily, but we make people feel motivated. And that's by embodying the energy that makes people want to get up and makes them want to participate and inspires them to be a part of something. And so I think that when the leadership embodies uh, what they want to see in the community, that's really powerful. And I think that by creating certain pillars that, you know, you know, you feel proud of and, and you know, feel sturdy in holding up what your company needs to feel like, not just look like or not just in the way it works or functions. Uh, we do have to think about how people feel at work because that does uh, have a huge impact, I think, on the functionality of the workplace. I think when you think about the connection between like what a customer experience is, like you can feel like a part of a community for a brand. But so that's really kind of the real, like the people inside the company need to feel the same connection. Yeah. It's one thing to like wear a logo and feel a connection to that community. But for that, that company to truly succeed, the employees need to feel like they're a part of it as well. And yeah. I think what you were saying, it taps into having a strong mission and vision and value inside of a company that actually allows them to foster a community in the same way that we've been able to do so, you know, externally, because I feel like the movements that we're seeing around the world, around the world have a stronger mission and value than a lot of companies who are probably very successful. Yeah, well, I think also we have to ask ourselves, you know, we're living in such a quick culture where we think that uh, we can only get eyeballs on something for five seconds. And so we're actually only giving our companies five seconds to exist. And if they couldn't get what they wanted to get done in five seconds and they don't exist anymore, and what does it look like to create a community that is building something for lifelong user acquisition. You know, I mean, in the, in the 50s and 60s, we had people who would work at a company for 50 and 60 years. And now it kind of, we've tapped into this culture where people are trying to move and have a new job every five years, every 10 years. And what does that say about the culture? Why don't, aren't we building cultures where people would want to work at a company as a lifelong role. I want to build something where the customer it comes to us their entire lifetime. And I really don't think that you can create that unless you have a company that says, well, what do, how do I build something that makes somebody want to work here for a lifetime? And ultimately, even no matter how long someone works somewhere, they're, de they're devoting their life to it. It's the time people spend away from their kids and their family and their friends. And, and so I think that, you know, those communities are the communities we spend most of our time in. So it's, you know, almost twice as important to make sure that they're ones where we can find joy and we can find a sense of purpose and passion and, and a sense of mission. I think another 
body of work that you've done, which is actually has huge kind of potential inside of a company that many companies truly don't actually, you know, tap into the power of is you've gone out to the world and created these things called Are You Okay Books? Yeah. So many companies aren't giving their employees a chance to actually be heard, give feedback and tell a story. We're talking about community and in society as well as community inside of a company. And I think there's great synergies with the work that you do and what actually we need inside companies more than ever right now. So one of the projects that you've sort of put out to the world is this Are You Okay Booth, a place for people to give feedback and just share a story. I'd love to know like what inspired you to actually create that. And then I'd love to also go deeper on the idea of like how to create more of that inside of, of a company. Well, you know, we're living in this time where we are um – you know, whether it's socially or politically, um, we're really uh, saying to people, it's time to be seen, it's time to be heard, it's time to speak up. But then we have to remember that in that, there are some of us who have to take responsibility to see people and hear them and listen to them when they speak up. And so much of building community is about what you actively put into it. And then there's a flip side of it that's about what you receive in community, because you know, when someone has a gift or they have a talent, it's only as valuable as their ability to be able to place it somewhere or for it to be seen and heard. And so I think that when it comes to why I created something like the Are You Okay booth was because we were telling people to speak up. So I wanted to be there to listen. And I think that equally in a company, if we're saying that your mental health is more important than ever and and, and, and building a company culture where everyone feels valued and, and feels like they have a purpose in, in the, the, the company, then who's going to listen when it's time for someone to say, this is what it, where I feel like my purpose really lies, or this is where I feel like my value really lies, or and this is how I really want to share my gifts. And, and so I think that, you know, we, we really, it, it is about giving and it is about building, but it's really also about receiving. And you've created a physical space for people to come do that. Yes, yeah, so it looks very much like a lemonade stand. But with just the power of story. Yeah. And helping people be heard. Yeah, I set it up in a public park. It's free. And I do it for about 10 hours, um, maybe once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, it's it's definitely, I think, of all of the projects I do, it's my favorite one, I'd say. When I first read about it, I was like, this is exactly what more companies need like listening to their employees, letting their stories be heard, but ultimately like taking action on what they're hearing, yeah. right? So it's one thing, like if you hear the same story over and over again, you're like, I actually need you to, to do, the, do those small changes that's going to help yeah. you get better. Do you, do you ever feel like, how do you help people after they've you know, told you a story to actually go do something that can maybe help them tell a different story next time? Well, actually last summer I did the booth in New York and the one thing I kept hearing over and over and over again was how lonely people felt. And it didn't matter whether it was a 14-year-old or a senior citizen, um, it didn't matter if they were single or in a relationship, it, it was almost every background, gender, age, every person told me that. It was maybe of everyone I talked to, 80% of the people said, at some point or another said that to me. Um, and so I remember uh, at the end of the day, I kind of called the people I worked with and I was like, you know, I think what I realized we need to do is create spaces for people to make friends. Because when I thought about it, I also looked back on my book tour, which I had done earlier in the year. And I really, I remembered realizing in that space that about 70% of the people were coming alone. And so in the fall that year, we actually added about it was like a 15-day tour through small towns across America. And it was 
I mean, I created a talk for it so that we could have something that the community was organized around. Um, but the real purpose of it was it was a talk for about an hour and then it was about four hours of community time and people made friends and I sat and I stayed and talked with everyone. And from that, people formed women's groups because um, it was mostly women who, who attended. Um, they formed these kind of women's groups to support each other and be in each other's lives all around the country. And that made me so proud because it was a way that I was able to listen to what I was hearing and then think like, okay, so I... I see the problem and I understand the need. And when you understand not just the problem, but also the need, then you really kind of understand what you can do. Um, and so it wasn't, I wasn't going to like, I, you know, I'm not the person who's like going to start an app about making friends, but I was like, but you know, I do have my words and I do have my poetry. And I do know that if I go to a town, people will probably come to, um, to watch me. And so if I build the community time around that, then I can also create the space for people to make friends. So you you also have to figure out what you can do in your own way to solve a problem. And I think a lot of the times we try to solve a problem in spaces that, you know, are outside of ourselves. Yeah. And that's when we feel like, oh, then it's like too much and we can't even do it. It's funny that the individual can have so much power in this situation because similar to you, I went on not a book tour, but like a tour in 2016, we ran 75 events around the world. We turned up to places that the only time people in, in this community were trying to understand about how to put culture first, the only time they got together was when like we turned up. So and we're like, what did it take for us, you know, some people from Australia to have this company to fly out to Canada or to fly out to Austin to actually have this conversation? But sometimes it takes someone yeah. to lead and actually say, like, I'm going to create a space for us to have this conversation. Yeah. And then you realize that people want it and they need it. And I'm yeah. sure you said four hours if you were there for eight they probably would have stayed as well. Yeah, you know, and you realize that most people are actually just looking for a safe space to be themselves. And I think that if you can provide that, then the connection will just happen. You know, we don't have to tell people to get connected. We are connected. You know, we have to help people recognize our connection. And I think creating space is a really uh, incredible way to do that. All right, so at the start of the episode, I talked about inspiration. And to bring that to life, I wanted to share an anonymous story from a listener of this podcast who's been inspired by the work of Cleo Wade. It's the story of someone who has been working through it after being laid off from her company due to the pandemic. But through reading Cleo's poetry, devouring her book, and being a member of her community, has found a way to build a community and connection for herself as well as others. Now, I want to point out I'm centering this story on the listener's experience and not their identity. But to give you some little bit of context here, the listener described themselves as a type A personality who has typically put a lot of weight on herself to do things perfectly. Now, Cleo's work focused on the idea of self-care, and through her nuggets of wisdom, Cleo has inspired her to create space to shoulder less weight and release that grip on perfection. So she described Cleo's work as inclusive, because on the very first page of her book, Heart Talk, she wrote this dedication that really stayed with the listener. The dedication said, This is dedicated to every human being who looks different, feels different, and thinks differently. I see you. I feel you. I am you. Stay different. Our world needs the difference we will make. Now, I wanted to read directly a quote that this listener shared with me about that dedication. The power of recognition here 
truly makes readers, myself included, feel seen. As humans, we are all here to connect and want to be seen and heard. So by setting the stage from the get-go, Cleo has already allowed for her community to access the text from a more vulnerable angle. By the time I got to the first page, I had morphed into a sponge, ready to absorb whatever came next. In addressing readers directly, Wade allows for that instance with her audience, where we do in fact get that powerful connection. By acknowledging both of our differences as well as our oneness in the same fell swoop, I felt bound to all the other humans who own or have read this book. It allowed for me a sense of togetherness. Now during my interview, my being me, Damon, back here again, during my interview with Cleo, you might remember that she mentioned that as leaders, we can create space and opportunities for others to come together. Which is why this final story from this anonymous listener about building community and connection for others, I found incredibly powerful as well as inspiring. She said, Two of the things that drive me, or fill my cup if you will, are bringing people together and making someone's day better. During the first week of shelter in place, a friend asked if I'd be open to teaching yoga classes virtually. Now before committing to saying yes, I asked a series of friends if they'd be interested, where I was met with a resounding and emphatic response of yes. Now since running these, I've had friends of friends, co-workers of friends, and parents of friends join me for these virtual classes. Although everyone is separated, I feel empowered to bring people together to sweat collectively. So even though we are alone, we are still able to look across the screen and see someone else moving right alongside us. As an instructor, I like to tie the deeper philosophical aspects of yoga and make them translatable to modern examples by referencing books, talks, songs and movies in my classes. I recently spent an entire week of classes referencing Cleo Wade's take on self-care, encouraging my students to release the pressures they put on themselves and to listen to their needs both physical and mental. For some, movement is a way to practice self-care, and in turn, self-love. I'm fortunate that I have skills which allow me to create a space for someone to practice self-love. Wow. So, firstly, I want to say thank you to this anonymous listener for opening up and sharing their story of working through it with me. Why I wanted to amplify this story in this episode is because it's an incredible example of being inspired by creativity experimenting with human connection and bringing people together in a time where many, including this person, have felt disconnected. So I leave this section of the episode with this little, I guess, encouragement to myself as well as to you, that if you're wanting and longing for connection during this time, ask yourself, if I'm wanting this, are others maybe wanting this as well? And what is stopping you or what is stopping me from being that person who creates this container for others? All right, so it's time to get back into my conversation with Cleo Wade. We ended our time together talking about the importance of being authentic, why we should all be practicing self-love during this time, and the power of having a co-dreamer to create with. It only takes one other person to feel unalone in that. And I think that if we can at least find one co-dreamer in our workspace who has a dream for us the way that we dream for ourselves and we can dream for them in that same way, then uh, it becomes infinitely more possible to 
be yourself in a space. And, uh, and I also feel that we, we, we teach people how to accept us a lot of the time. And so I think that if you don't feel comfortable being yourself, then there is some, some kind of room in an organization where we can allow people to understand how to accept us rather than shutting down and feeling like I'm just going to go here and get this done and then leave. Um, I feel like if you're just getting through your day every day, then I think your life's going to move way too quickly past you. Yeah. And so I, I do think that it's important that we have joy by cultivating joy in the workplace. And I don't think that that can be done by going it alone. So I would, I would probably say connect, even if it's just to one person. And, and then I think that the habit and the spirit of connection becomes something that is easier and easier to tap into in in a culture. Thank you to Cleo Wade for joining me on the Culture First podcast. I'd also like to say a special thanks to the anonymous listener who shared their story with me. Now, if you have a story that you'd like to share on a future podcast episode, then please reach out. There is a submission form at culturefirstpodcast.com. And while you're there, maybe send one of your favorite episodes to a co-dreamer who's helping you. So I don't know about you, but I'm leaving this episode full of inspiration about the power of connection and community. We've all heard the saying that actions speak louder than words. But I don't think that means we should dismiss the power of words and poetry when it comes to inspiring movements and inspiring people to take action. So to end this episode, I wanted to recite this poem that Cleo Wade recently wrote that has inspired me to take action. The world will say to you, we need to end racism. Start by healing it in your own family. The world will say to you, how do we speak to bias and bigotry? Start by having the first conversation at your own kitchen table. The world will say to you, there is too much hate. Devote yourself to love. Love yourself so much that you can love others without barriers and without judgment.